good to see you too. Welcome back. This place is dead when you're not here. You ought to come back and see it sometime when you're not here. So, but seriously, Easter is about a month away. Did you ever wonder why Judas betrayed Jesus? I mean, there are a lot of ideas about that. It's such an integral part of the story that we may not even think about it. We may just weave it in and there it is. But um, might have done it for the money. It was about a month's wages, a significant amount of money in a culture and a time that often paid workers every day so that they would have food to eat or they'd go hungry. So might have done it for the money, certainly. But think about it, when Judas realized that Jesus had been handed over to Pilate to be crucified, he was filled with remorse and he judged himself. He said, I have sinned, I have missed the mark, I've gone away from God. He returned the money, then he went out and took his life. Up until Jesus stood condemned, Judas thought he was doing the right thing, and then in a moment, he realized that he'd done the wrongest thing he could ever have done. It's a frightening possibility, isn't it? That we might give ourselves to something that at the time seems right, and then when it's really late, maybe too late, we realize we've given ourselves to the wrong thing. I want you to consider a couple of questions this morning, really three, and I'm convinced that someone here, maybe more than one someone, needs to consider these questions because you're on the verge of something and God wants you to to call you back to something else. Here's the questions, what do you want out of life? That's a huge question. What do you want out of life? Number two, Is that what God wants for your life? Number three, is your present path leading you to the best that God has for you? So three questions. This is Bible Monday, and as you know, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and this morning I want to walk us through a portion of that sermon. So let's look at the Bible. If you have your Bibles with you, either electronically or in print, You can glance at Matthew 5 and see that there, Jesus talked about activities that impact human relationships. They're all negative. He talked about anger and revenge and lust and divorce and adultery, uh, actions that impact relationships. But when you hit chapter 6, Jesus changes his tone. Chapter 6, verse 1, he begins talking about spiritual disciplines spiritual practices meant to uh, grow us in the Christian walk, meant to give worship to God and draw us closer to him, charitable giving, praying, and fasting. And my questions, what do you want from life, really arise from these three spiritual disciplines. Uh, First of all, Matthew 6, the first four verses, Jesus says that the way we give reveals our motive for generosity, our motive for giving. If we draw attention to our generosity, he says, then that's your motive. You are giving to get attention for giving. 
like the couple in the book of Acts. You know who I'm talking about? They sold a piece of land and brought the money to the church and made a show of saying to the congregation, we're giving all the money that we got from this land to the congregation. And surely the congregation began to buzz with amazement. They must be really rich, really generous, really godly to be so generous. But of course they hadn't given all, they were lying about that. And what they wanted was that buzz from the congregation. And maybe Ananias and Sapphira thought that God would be as impressed as the congregation was. He wasn't. And they were dead in just a short time. It's a brutal outcome. Well, drawing attention to our giving reveals why we've been giving. We're buying attention. So here's a question. What do you want from life? Do you want temporary fame or lasting character? Do you want the praise of people? And that is so tempting, isn't it? It is so tempting, the praise of people. Or do you want the approval of God? Jesus talks in Matthew 6, verse 5, about prayer. And Professor Shaw talked about this a couple of weeks ago and did an excellent job. I'm not going to go deeply into that section except to point out that Jesus says if we pray in public just so that others can see us praying in public, then that's why we pray in public. We do it so that others will think that we're super spiritual. So whether it's grace before meals, I mean, I've done this all my life, but it's worth asking, wait a minute, if I'm at Culver's or wherever, why am I bowing my head and praying? Is it because I'm doing something out of devotion to God or do I want others to be impressed? Just asking the question. According to Rupert Davies, a historian, the Methodist Church in England decades ago stopped using spontaneous prayers in public worship services. You know why? Because, he said, those spontaneous prayers had degenerated into the long-winded repetition of cliches utterly remote from the needs of people or the faith of the church. You've been in services like that? I've probably prayed prayers like that that really don't reach the heart of God and really don't come from our heart, but they're just artfully put together in the hope that others will think, boy, he's doing a good job. So what do you want? Prayer, as you know, is really intimate conversation with God. Prayer is when we talk with God about the deepest concerns of our hearts, matters that perhaps we don't talk about with everybody else or maybe anybody else. It's intimate conversation and to pray in a way that draws attention to us is exactly what God intended. True story. One Sunday morning at a church not far from here, a pastor stood to lead the congregation in the pastoral prayer and he said, absolutely true, would you bow before me in prayer? He didn't mean to say that. He meant to say, would you bow with me in prayer? He was off by one word, and we've never let him forget it. But I wonder if he inadvertently underscored what's really going on when people pray in public to be seen by others. 
What if those people are really wishing that they were God and receiving his praise and his glory? It's an ancient temptation. What do you want from life? Praise due only to God or a deep, lasting, intimate conversation with him? So he talks about generosity and he talks about praying and says there are two kinds of rewards, either eternal rewards or fleeting rewards. You can't have both. You have to choose which one you're going to go after. Then he talks about fasting in Matthew 6, 16 and, and 17 and 18. Anybody doing a Lenten fast? Don't raise your hand. Anybody doing a Lenten fast? Just asking the question. The way you carry out that Lenten fast may reveal why you're doing it. Jesus says there were some people who would fast visibly. They just looked awful so that people would say, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? And then the person could say, oh yeah, I'm just under the burden of fasting. Oh, so hard. Don't know how I can make it through this. Jesus says if you fast visibly so that others will praise you, that's your reward. That's all there is. There's nothing more. One couple I know would remind each other of this principle. So if one of them began to complain, let's, it's a ministry couple, let's say that the church didn't respond the way they thought they should to some ministry they had done, the other one would say, you know, you just got your reward. It's a good reminder, isn't it? You just got your reward. So Jesus says, Regarding generosity and prayer and fasting, there are two kinds of rewards. These spiritual disciplines produce rewards. And you can choose whether you want the reward of others thinking that you're really super spiritual and really something, really successful with God, or you can get the rewards from God that are eternal. Now follow with me in verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. We've not read any of the scripture yet. We may look at this passage and think these are, this, now we've moved to a different topic. I don't think we have. Listen, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Well, we rich Americans assume that Jesus is talking about our money and I'm not saying he's not talking about money, but what if he's first of all talking about the rewards we get for the spiritual practices that we engage in? The closest connection between treasures and the previous text is the rewards that go with spiritual disciplines. And he seems to be saying, look, if you move through life collecting the praise of others for religious practice, then that's where your heart really is. It's on earth. It's with people. You want the praise of people. And thinking you can do both is a kind of darkness. As he says in 622, if you're, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, the whole body is full of darkness. Listen to this. If we are wrong about what's right, that's a deep darkness. And it will lead to a lifetime of regret. Like Judas, who thought he was right until he knew he was wrong. 
the theme continues. It's not a new theme. The theme continues in 624 where Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and mammon. What's mammon? Some versions translate it money. Could be money. Some versions uh, indicate that the original language means that it's what we put our trust in, what we put our confidence in. You can't serve God and some other human kind of confidence builder. You can't serve two masters any more than you can multitask, really, like driving and texting. It's not going to end well. Why would someone seek the praise of people for these spiritual disciplines intended to bring glory to God and bring us closer to Him? Well, maybe, maybe the boxer Mike Tyson has some wisdom for us. He said, the temptation for greatness is the biggest drug in the world. The temptation for greatness is the biggest drug in the world, maybe. We do things, perhaps subconsciously, maybe consciously, hoping that others will recognize and at least tell us that we are worthwhile, if not great. One person says that an infant held tenderly in the arms of a caregiver, making eye contact with that caregiver, may begin to receive what is the basis of empathy, and out of that Empathy may become capable of adult relationships that are tender and loving and stable with other people and with God. But if a person does not receive this kind of acceptance and care from a tender, loving caregiver, that person may spend much of life looking for that affirmation, that sense that you really are worthwhile. Maybe that's a reason some people gravitate to spiritual disciplines and perform them in such a way that others can't help but notice and say, you are amazing. Well, I don't know, maybe. I know this. I was raised by loving parents. I've sometimes thought, boy, my parents did a lot of things wrong. But you know what? My parents did a great job. I thank God for the parents I had. They're both gone now. They were affirming and loving. They disciplined me way too much. I wasn't that bad. (laughs) But they loved me. My mother died on Mother's Day last year. Um, The last words she said to me Thursday night before Sunday Mother's Day, the last words she said to me She said, I love you very much. Isn't that wonderful? What a way to go out of life. But you have to know, my mother said that all the time. She said, I love you very much and be careful. So she was cautious. But all through life, she said, I love you very much. Now here's what I'm saying. I was raised by loving parents who affirmed me and gave me that kind of eye contact right from the the womb, right from, from birth. And I still find myself doing things that I hope will cause you to say, Vardaman, you're amazing. Maybe it's something we all have to fight. That drift towards idolatry. That drift towards taking the place of God. 
I'd really like to be like Joyce. If you've lived around here long enough, you might know Joyce. Joyce worked, as far as I know, hourly wage jobs all of her life, worked as a secretary for, in different offices here or there. She was a faithful church attender, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, midweek service, missionary service. She was quiet and unassuming. She wore simple clothes, drove a simple old, old car. It got her here and there. And she carried a purse and she regularly would pull out an Instamatic film camera and take your picture. If you're in church, for some reason, she might just take your picture. Then she'd have the pictures developed. She'd get two copies, put one copy in her album and give you the other copy. They weren't great pictures. Now, I'm the kind of guy that carries a camera everywhere he goes. Don't have one with me up on stage, but I carry a camera all the time. I know the kind of weird people that carry cameras. And she carried a camera. And we thought she was a little bit odd. Wonderful, but odd. When Joyce died, at her funeral, they were telling Joyce stories, of course. And someone stood and said, you may not know this, but all of her life, she never married, all of her life, she sent money to support a Bible college in a foreign country that trained pastors for the ministry. And in her will, she left a substantial amount of money to that Bible college that will sustain it for decades to come. Here's my point. Joyce never told me about that. I was her pastor. She never said, hey, pastor, would you pray for the Bible college in X country that they, because I'm giving to them. She never made it a prayer request. She never asked us to support the college as a church. She did it quietly, unassumingly. And now she has her reward in full. I'd like to be, this is what I want out of life. I'd like to to connect with God in a way that wins his well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you? Is that what you want? Spiritual disciplines, this passage say, brings reward, bring rewards. And Jesus says, go after the rewards that last forever, not the ones that are fleeting. Robert Bella said, for most of us, it's easier to go after what we want than to even know what exactly we should want. It's easier for us to go after what we want than to even know exactly what we should want. So I ask you again the questions that I'm convinced someone needs to consider this morning because you're thinking about a course of action that will lead you in the wrong direction. What do you want out of life? Is it what God wants for your life? Is your present path leading you to the best that God has for you? Pray with me, please. Lord, here and now, we pump the brakes on what we're doing and ask you to show us what we should want in life. You've shown some of us, you've given us a call, a leading, a direction, whatever that is. I don't want us to take that for granted. I want us to come back and say, you ready to refine that? Give us clearer direction, deeper insight? Show us, Lord, what you value 
for us, lead us, and give us a double confirmation so that there's no doubt of your leading. We want what you want for our lives. The band is going to lead us in a closing song. Would you stand and join in singing together? <laughs>